I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vet Sessions. I'm your host, Dr. Shannon Gowland. Today, I'm so excited to speak with Dr. Liz Goodale, who is a board-certified dermatologist and a graduate of OVC. Liz, welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for coming. And before we get started, I just want to thank our sponsors, who are OVC Pet Trust, for their support of our podcast. OVC Pet Trust is Canada's first charitable fund dedicated to improving and advancing companion animal health and well-being. OVC Pet Trust supports innovative discoveries, education, and healthcare that improve the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of diseases of pets. Learn more about OVC Pet Trust at www.pettrust.ca or connect with them on Instagram at OVC Pet Trust. Thank you, Pet Trust, for everything you do and helping us to do this podcast. So our topic today will be Dr. Goodale's approach to the itchy dog. I love dermatology too, so I think this is such a great topic. And for our listeners out there who also love dermatology, could you tell us a little bit sort of about your path to become a dermatologist? Yeah, so dermatology was never something that I went to vet school with the intention of pursuing. Mm -hmm. In fact, I distinctly remember having a moment in third year thinking, oh dear, why on earth would anybody ever want to do dermatology? (laughs) They're crazy. Um, But I had a dog in vet school who had a lot of skin problems, and he was a frequent flyer, both here um, at uh, this clinic as well as into the dermatology service as well. I remember Akira well. (laughs) (laughs) So through him, I learned a lot about dermatology. Um, And I think that's kind of where where my interest was was peaked. Um, So when I pursued my internship, initially, I wasn't sure that was what I wanted to do. But I kind of realized that all it was the derm cases that I really liked seeing. Um, So eventually decided that was that was where I wanted to specialize. Awesome. Awesome. So you kind of confirmed your interest in your internship and then you did a dermatology residency. Yeah. So I first I worked for a year in emergency oh, yeah. um, okay. in London, Ontario. Great. And then I did a residency in UC, at UC Davis in California. Okay. And I stayed on and worked there for a couple of years afterwards as a staff dermatologist before deciding to come, come back to the motherland Amazing. and uh, move closer to home. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then you've been kind of in the area for like four or five years or so. Yeah, I think about five years this summer. Amazing. Well, we're very happy to have you back. So that is great. Okay. So, so what do you love so much about derm then? Like what do you found, what did you find uh, drew you to the derm cases? I think they're, they're something that they're a little bit of a challenge to work through um, where you have to really work through like the diagnostic process and logically thinking through the case and sort of going through those steps. And that's, that sort of critical thinking and and that mystery process I really enjoy. Um, it's also really visual, which I think is is really nice. Um, and you can have a huge impact on patients' quality of life and sort of that owner patient relationship through Derm. Um, so I think that's those are sort of the things that that I like the most about it. That makes a lot of sense to me, and and the impact is so true. You know, itching is to me it's kind of like pain. Yeah, I mean, there's been studies showing that intractable itch, um, humans with intractable itch have a worse quality of life than terminal cancer patients. And so um, it's so important to try and manage their itch well. Um, you can improve their life so much. Wow, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree. And from the, the thanks that we get from our clients, and I'm sure you get from your clients even more for relieving these itchy dogs, it's uh, pretty incredible. Oh, amazing. 
So that's really good to know. Um, let's jump into our topic then. So many of our new grads are starting their first jobs in small animal primary care, probably this week. And uh, that means that they're going to see lots and lots of itchy dogs, of course. Um, so when we're presented with an itchy dog, what are kind of the first things we should think about, like when we're getting a history in that patient? Yeah, so there's lots of important details with history. Um, I think some of them are, are knowing when the signs first started. Mm -hmm. So is this a brand new problem? Has this been going on for years since it was a puppy? That age of onset is really critical. Um, knowing if there's a seasonality um, mm -hmm. is important because that can help, you know, to help you differentiate between the different types of, of allergies. Um, as well as, you know, what have they tried so far? Because a lot of times you're not seeing patients for the first time. Derm disease is a major reason that people hop between clinics. Yeah. So most of the people that you talk to have probably tried, you know, two, three, four different things before they've gotten to you. And it's helpful to know what they've tried and how those things worked to kind of help you prioritize where to, to spend your effort. And, and also things like, are they on any flea control is a really important question. For sure. Um, and not just asking, are they on it? But, you know, how often do they give it? How do they give it? Um, making sure that they're actually applying it or administering it appropriately um, and at the appropriate schedule. Yeah, that makes sense. Not just, did you buy the box? Exactly. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> makes a lot of sense for sure. Okay. And then what about when we start to do our physical exam? I mean, of course, you're going to do a complete physical exam on everybody. But when it comes to that derm exam, what kind of tips and, and ideas can you give us? Yeah, it's helpful. Just like your regular physical, it's helpful to have a sort of system that you go through. Mm -hmm. I personally tend to work from nose to tail. Just that sort of works easily for me. Um, so the, the places to really focus on are ears, um, lip folds, lip margins, um, the sort of ventral neck, armpits, paws. Um, belly and then sort of perianally, you'll find a, unless aside from flea allergies, a lot of allergic dogs, the dorsal um, surface is not really that important. There's not really that many lesions on the back of the dog. Not that you shouldn't look at it, but I would say it's really the undersurface is where you're going to find most of your lesions in these guys. Yeah, for sure. And I find students are often surprised when I'm kind of focusing on those lip folds. I think if I had to pick a spot that people miss the most often in terms of doing that that sort of derm-focused exam, I would think it's the lip folds. I don't know about you. But. Yeah, it's also a big area. Like when an owner complains to you that a patient has bad breath and their yes. mouth really smells, half the time, I mean, they may have bad dental disease, but a lot of times look at those lip folds and you'll find that there is infection in there. And that's often a huge reason that people notice that they have bad breath is because of those lip folds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And by lip fold, what we mean is there's a little fold in the lip kind of halfway between the front and the back of the lip. Um, some breeds have a deeper fold than others and saliva and all kinds of things can accumulate <laughs> in there. So it's a, and you kind of have to pull that lip down a little bit in order to see that crease. It's kind of like a crease at the side of the mouth. And then, so how about diagnostics? So what kind of diagnostics do we kind of generally think about and what should we start with when we're presented with an itchy dog? So cytology, you'll hear yeah. anytime you hear a dermatologist talk, we're all going to say cytology, cytology, cytology. I mean, it's kind of like your, your sort of, you know, TPR of the skin. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, every, the skin only has so many, so many ways that it can uh, respond. So, you know, it gets red, it gets darkly pigmented, um, sometimes it gets crusty. Um, but those can be for a whole bunch of different reasons. So, so your cytology really helps you look and see, is there an infection there that you need to worry about? Does the patient need antibiotics? Do they need antifungals? Um, or is there no infection at all? In fact, maybe we're thinking this is something autoimmune. 
So that cytology is really important. It also helps you guide your treatment. So, you know, if you saw them, say it was an ear infection, you see them today, you treat it, um, but on your cytology initially you had seen a bunch of rods, um, that might help guide which medications you choose. But when you see them back on recheck, it will also help you sort of assess whether it's better or not. You know, if, has the, sh the population of bacteria shifted in the ear? Maybe you managed to clear up all those rods, but now you've got yeast there. And, and that doesn't mean the medications didn't work. It may just mean that there's now something different going on. Um, or has there been a topical reaction, in, in which case you might see no bacteria, but just lots of white blood cells. And in that situation, more medication might actually make it worse. Um, so, so cytology is, is critical. I mean, general wellness blood, blood work has its place. Like if you're suspicious of endocrinopathies um, in a patient that maybe you're looking at starting medications like antifungals, you might want to think about sort of general wellness blood work. But probably I don't do as much well, general wellness blood work in, in dermatology. Um, we certainly do do our fair share of thyroid testing. So any patient, you know, a middle-aged patient that you're suspicious of, of hypothyroidism, so maybe they're overweight, um, thin hair coat, greasy skin, that sort of thing, you, you, you might want to consider getting some thyroid testing on those, being cognizant of what medications they're on at the time. Um, and whether they may have, you know, serious infections that could impact your thyroid testing. It's always kind of a, a tricky one there. Yeah, for sure. But for sure. your physical exam and cytology are really the, the most important diagnostics you're going to have. Absolutely. And then do you have a preferred method for collecting cytology samples? I'm a big tape fan. Oh, yeah? So okay. I really like scotch tape. Um, so you want to use the clear scotch tape, sort of the clear acetate tape. It doesn't have to be scotch tape brand. Whatever yeah. dollar store tape is fine, too. Um, but I find, if, you know, most of the lesions, if they're dry, tape is going to be the best way to get a sample. Um, so you kind of stick the tape on a few times until, you know, it's not really that sticky anymore. And then you're going to, um, there's two different ways you can stain it. Either you can uh, stick it on the edge of your slide and sort of dip it in the, either the pink and the, the purple stain. Um, you don't need to put it in the fixative. Or you can kind of gently stick it on your slide and use a syringe with some of the blue stain and sort of inject it underneath and then press it on a surface to, to remove the excess. Um, but yeah, I love tape. Um, obviously for ears that and for anything that's really moist or exudative, that's not going to be a great choice. Those swabs are, are fantastic too. Yeah, we do tons of cytology here, of course. Excellent. And yeah, it's always, it's always fun to look at them. I find sometimes the technicians don't like the tape samples as much because they're kind of a, there's sort of multi-layers to look through to some extent for sure. And it's all about the fine focus. So, okay. you know, when you look at an ear swab, everything is in one plane. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't have to focus up and down. You can just sort of get it in focus and then just move over the slide and look at the different areas. Um, whereas tape, everything is, you're right, it's three-dimensional. Everything is kind of at a different focus. So every single field, you have to kind of go up and down and look at all those different planes. So, so, so it does take a little bit more work. There's also a little bit more background noise. You have to kind of learn to filter out sort of that that background. Um, sometimes putting a cover slip over the tape can help tone down a little bit of that background oh, yeah. uh, noise. Just to flatten um, it a little bit more? Yeah, it just kind of helps, I think, take away some of that, like, because it's just a little bit of the stain will stick to the tape, so there's sort of a little bit of, you know, purple everywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's not, sometimes the, the cover slip can help reduce that. Okay, and you're putting just a dry cover slip on top of the yeah, steamed like a little, tape? Or put a little, little drop of, of immersion oil on okay. a cover slip. Yep. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's a really good tip. I can see the advantage of tape in terms of being able to pick everything up as opposed to, I think with the swab technique, we probably lose a little bit. 
yeah, I find I find I get more like especially looking for yeast I find I, I find more of it with my tape than I do with the swab okay good to know so why don't we kind of talk about a case so let's say that we have a dog named snowflake who is a three-year-old white male neutered standard poodle who presents for itching starting about two weeks ago let's say it's springtime in southwestern Ontario and the owners think he was kind of itchy about this time of last year but it went away and this time it's much worse so what's going to be our sort of initial approach for poor snowflake. Yeah, so that's a really classic history for an atopic patient. You know, a seasonal pruritus that worsens with each year is very, very common. Um, And especially if the the pruritus has traditionally resolved, you know, over the winter, I think it sort of would be challenging to argue in two weeks duration that this is probably a food allergy. So Mm -hmm. I think this is probably a patient I wouldn't necessarily be talking to them a lot about food um, unless it persists and it doesn't resolve with our treatments. And now we're talking, you know, weeks and months of of being itchy, then maybe we we talk about it. But but this is kind of a patient that probably just addressing the itch symptomatically is very reasonable. Um, and probably there's not a lot else that you need to really do initially if, if that's, if it's only going to last for a short period and then resolve, um, a nice one that probably something like Apoquel or Cytopoint would be a great choice for. Um, I think it's never wrong to talk to them. I mean, you should definitely talk to them about, um, the progression of allergies that, you know, this may be short, short term itch seasonally right now, but if it's worsening year after year, then this is a patient we probably need to start thinking about. Um, allergy testing and immunotherapy for but you know in an animal where their symptoms only last a short period it's probably not needed to go there quite yet okay that's totally fair and then you mentioned some cytopoint or apoquel would be nice so one of the questions i most frequently get from students in terms of dermatology is how to choose um did you want to give just a, a brief description of what cytopoint is and what apoquel is and and then maybe we can talk about kind of some situations where one might be better than the other sure um, so Apoquel is a uh, Janus kinase inhibitor. So it's a daily tablet that's given um, that blocks the signals that transmit itch in the body. Um, it's really nice because it works quickly. Um, so usually within hours, so just as fast as steroids do, but it's not a steroid. So it's going to be a safe option for patients to take for extended periods. Um, it's really minimally immunosuppressive. So for most of our patients, it's not at all immunosuppressive. There may be a few sensitive patients that, that are, can be uh, slightly immunosuppressed with, with it. Um, so we can sometimes see things like Demodex pop up. Um, but I'd say by and large, in the majority of patients, that's not the case. Okay. Uh, Cytopoint is a monoclonal antibody. So this is an injectable drug um, that lasts typically about four to eight weeks in most patients. Um, and it targets interleukin-31, which is the main molecule that signals itch in the body. Um, It's not at all immunosuppressive and is a really safe option to use in in any of our patients who have comorbidities that, you know, you're concerned about drug interactions or or any of their organ function or anything like that. So Cytopoint is a really safe option. It's also a great choice for uh, patients under a year of age because unfortunately, Apoquel um, is not licensed in puppies. And, and that's because in, in the puppies that have taken Apoquel, there's been an increased incidence of pneumonia. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's a little bit riskier in that, that age group. So, so Cytopoint would be a much safer choice for a puppy. For sure. For sure. You know, and, and when picking 
which one to use in a particular patient, you know, assuming they're not a puppy. Um, otherwise, I mean, I think either one are great choices. I tend to use Apoquel first line, especially in bigger dogs, because mm-hmm. it's a little bit more economical. Yeah. It's still not inexpensive, no. but it is less expensive than Cytopoint for a big dog. Um, for little dogs, sometimes Cytopoint is more economical than Apoquel um, because the tablets for Apoquel are dosed this, or cost the same, whether it's a tiny tablet or the really big dog size. So for a small dog, it actually ends up being a little bit more expensive. Um, so for the little guys, sometimes Cytopoint is a little less expensive. Um, Cytopoint is sometimes also nice for patients that are hard to medicate. Um, for sure. Or for those that are doing food trials where you're limited in what options you have to hide medications, sometimes Cytopoint can be nice too. Okay, sounds good. Do you find that that sometimes I find that uh, that Cytopoint doesn't work for some patients, and that maybe Apoquel works more reliably for more, but that may be uh, an anecdotal observation that I might be making. What is your thought on that? Yeah, I think there's definitely a population of dogs that Apoquel works better, and there's a population that Cytopoint works better. Fair. Hard to predict who you know who's gonna which one it's gonna be. Um, I think for those that Apoquel works. You know, but maybe doesn't last all day or maybe doesn't completely work. Those are really sometimes those are good candidates to try Cytopoint because it may okay. be a little bit more effective for them. But I've seen the reverse be true as well. Um, there are also patients where individually Cytopoint and Apoquel are not effective. Um, but actually, if you combine the two, um, then that's they, that can be much more effective for them. I think there was one study that showed um, that when individually when they fail, about 75% of patients will respond if you give them both. Wow, okay. um, now, unfortunately, when you combine both of them, it's a pretty expensive option. So yes. if it's a larger dog, this, that's probably not practical for a lot of owners. But um, if it's an option, it, it's really safe. Okay. Okay. That sounds really good. And... The other thing is sometimes when I have a really, really pruritic patient and we're going to go with Cytopoint, I give a little bit of Apoquel at the start of it just to get that fast action and then let the Cytopoint take over. Do you ever do something like that or do you find that that's... I find it generally works pretty quickly. Like most patients, I've had some owners swear within three hours they've had relief from Cytopoint. Really? I usually say to give it up to three days. Like usually by 72 hours, you know if it's going to work or not. If it hasn't worked by then probably you need to think about something else but but typically they get relief pretty quickly so I can't say that I I typically do probably the one thing that would deter me from using Apoquel or Cytopoint in a patient is if they're really red so if they're really red their skin is super inflamed they've got a lot of lichenification or maybe they have really bad ear infections they're super swollen those are patients that probably need a lot more anti-inflammatory properties than Fair. Cytopoint and Apoquel are going to provide. So that's where I really tend to reach for my steroids and, okay. and, and use those to rescue those guys. Okay, that sounds really good. And then how about other products like shampoos and sprays, mousses, wipes? There are so many topical products. Um, I'm wondering, you know, do you have favorites or particular times when you use them? Yeah, topical therapy is so important. Yeah. Um, you know, bathing our allergic patients and controlling those secondary infections topically, you can reduce how many antibiotics you need to prescribe. You can also reduce how much anti-itch medication they need because if you can remove the pollen from their hair coat and remove those infections, you can really, really make a big impact. Um, So I'm a really big supporter of, of topical therapy. Um, And you're right, there's tons of options. You know, I think a lot of them are going to be individually like each patient is going to respond to different ones individually yeah. um 
And so probably the ingredients that I tend to look for, because that's, you know, anywhere you, any clinic you go to is probably going to stock different products. So if, if you're ever unsure of what ones you have, look at the active ingredients to try and help guide you kind of what it's for. Um, probably most commonly I reach for things with chlorhexidine in them. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, if you can have 3% or higher, then you're going to cover for both yeast and bacteria. Um, under 3%, you're not going to be quite as effective against your yeast. So, so I typically use some things that are 3% or higher. Um, and there are sort of, I think, I think there's only one product in Canada, just Malisub, I think has a combination of chlorhexidine with um, myconazole. And, and that has been shown to be superior, um, for antibacterial properties as well as against dermatophytes than just chlorhexidine alone. Um, so that's a great option. It's a pretty expensive shampoo, so it is. I don't reach for it too often um, just because it's cost prohibitive for a lot of my patients, but yeah. um, but it is a fabulous shampoo. <laughs> um, and then for patients that are hard to bathe or if you're finding um, you know bathing is is not enough for them, using the sprays and mousses and wipes to treat those focal areas between baths is really awesome. I typically end up using mousses most commonly. I find a lot of my patients aren't big fans of being sprayed. Yeah, Um, that's for sure. (laughs) They tend to run away. Um, And the wipes are great too if it's a really small area. So facial folds, um, those are really effective with wipes, um, but they get kind of expensive to use over large areas because they're usually pretty tiny and they don't come in big packages. Um, So the mousse can kind of go a little bit further um, and save them some money. Um, for patients that are really greasy or have lots of dandruff, um, things with salicylic acid can be very helpful. They don't have quite as much residual activity as chlorhexidine. So for, for treating pyoderma, I tend to prefer chlorhexidine. Um, and I reserve the, the, um, salicylic acid for patients with more just dandruff and greasy skin. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of, lots of options. <laughs> there sure are. Yeah. I like the mousses too. And most of them seem to be sort of like a rub in mousse as opposed to more of a topical hair treatment. Um, and I, I like that because it seems to be easy for the clients to rub the mousse into that focal area, like you said. So yeah. And you want to try and get them, you know, down to the skin as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder with long haired dogs. Like, yeah. You know, they've done studies and shown that you're not going to reach the skin as effectively with them, but, but I think they still, still are very effective. Um, and they have much longer duration of activity than a shampoo does, obviously, because you don't wash them off. Um, so, so that's why they're really nice if you have patients that you can't bathe frequently. Um, I typically recommend most of my allergic patients bathing them probably about once a week is okay. in their allergic season. Um, because I think that's a, a frequency that's somewhat manageable for most owners, mm-hmm. um, but can still help kind of prevent those infections. Okay. So you're bathing ideally once a week and then maybe adding in a mousse or some other topical another time a week or yeah, I guess it depends. Yeah, I usually do it sort of two or three times between the baths yeah. um, just to sort of maintain if there's an area that we're treating topically. So maybe we're trying to avoid oral antibiotics and we're just going to treat it topically. Um, then I'll probably do it daily. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Okay. That sounds great. Do you use any of the skin barrier, um, type of products as well? Like there are some spot on ones that I've seen used and they seem, some people like them. Some people don't. I don't I use haven't a ton used them much. of them. No. I find a lot. Of, I mean, there's so many products for derm and it's really easy to overwhelm clients yes, with it is. too many things. Um, 
most of the patients that I see are probably severe enough that you know, we need to rely on, on systemic treatment for a lot of the things. So I find for most of them, it, it's probably not going to provide a huge amount of benefit that I tend not to reach for them. Fair enough. The places I probably might consider some of those like spot on um, fatty acid products yeah. would be, you know, especially for like focal scaly areas. So, you know, patients that get ear margin, seborrhea, um, cats with chin acne, sometimes they can be helpful. Um, or, or patients that, you know, the owners just complain they have a lot of dandruff, mm. but it's okay. not because of a, an infection or anything like that. Sometimes it might be helpful for those cases, but I would say it's pretty, not very common that I reach for them. Okay, thank you. Okay, that's great. Thank you. It's really good to know there, as you say, there's so much selection in terms of different derm products and every clinic probably has their favorites. Yeah. Okay, so for Snowflake then, um, our itchy dog, and we think he has a seasonal allergy or atopy, then it sounds like you'd recommend, um, in this case, more symptomatic therapy for now, um, and then give the client some education about what to watch out for in the future in terms of needing further. Exactly. Okay. And then, unfortunately, though, um, many of our allergic dogs present with more than just itching. Um, Some of them are so severely itchy that we end up with pyoderma, skin infections, moist dermatitis, ear infections. Um, So for more severe or more complex cases, how does our approach kind of change? Knowing that's a big question, (laughs) but if you can kind of give us a general idea. Yeah, so I think sort of the the initial stage is to sort of put out the fire so mm-hmm. to identify and treat those infections calm if there's a lot of inflammation try and calm that kind of get them back to a place where they're more normal looking they're more comfortable but then you need to come up with your management plan for them because you know those patients are not going to be patients like snowflake that we can sort of treat them for a short period with anti-itch meds take them off and expect it to stay away those are probably going to be patients that that need some ongoing care and so the setting your owner up for that expectation at the beginning can be very helpful. Um, that, you know, treating these infections is not the hard part usually. Like yeah. you can clear up the pyoderma. Um, it's keeping it from coming back that is the hard part. And that's where they need to stay up on their bathing, keep giving their medications to control their, their pruritus and the inflammation um, to try and help keep them out of the vet's office all the time. Yeah, because the, the germ cases are definitely a lot of our frequent flyers for sure, sure for sure. Okay, so it sounds like we're more focusing on um, getting that inflammation down either with a steroid briefly if we need it, if it's really bad, or considering our anti-itch medications. Um, and then how often do you do like a recheck and a repeat cytology? I guess it's a very individual type of thing. Do you have any kind of general guidelines for us on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think probably the way I manage it is slightly different than the way a lot of general practitioners would mainly because of appointment availability that, and my clients come from far away. So it's hard for me to check them very frequently. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, if it's a simple pyoderma that the patient's, you know, hasn't really had many infections, I don't necessarily think you have to recheck them at the end of your course of antibiotics. I think you could probably instruct the owner what to watch for and if it doesn't get better to come back. Um, but any patient who has had recurrent or chronic infections, I think it's important to try and check them before you stop those those treatments. Uh, most of the patients, if it's, if it's severe, they're probably going to need four weeks of treatment to start with. Um, and so, so typically I'll plan to recheck them about four weeks in. If you're unsure if they really need that long of treatment and they live locally, you can always start with two weeks and recheck them at two weeks. And if it's not better, extend it and then check them again two weeks later. It just depends you know, on your appointment availability and your client's willingness to come to the clinic. 
For sure. But I think and ears as well, you should probably ideally be rechecking them before you finish your eardrops um, in patients that have had really chronic otitis that you're not, you know, it's, it's coming back often, you're having trouble clearing up, you always want to make sure it's resolved before you stop those medications. Okay. Yeah, I think that most general practices don't do a whole lot of repeat cytology on ears, um, which we probably should be doing. Um, sometimes it's a cost issue for the owners, but uh, also sometimes I think it's tempting to just put your otoscope in there and assume that everything's good if it looks all right. Um, and I think probably for the ones that are, that are, that that's not their main area of concern. You know, those allergic mm-hmm. patients that come, they're itchy, there's other stuff going on, but oh, they also have a mild ear infection or, or dogs with very simple ear infections. I don't think that's necessarily a huge flaw. Fair. But I think those, you know, those pseudomonas ears that just keep coming yes. back, like you've got to get your cytology because they might look normal externally, but when you put a swab in there, it can be very different. Yeah, yeah, very fair, very fair. Okay, thank you. So what do you think we can do sort of as primary care veterinarians generally to more successfully help our itchy dogs? Do you have any sort of favorite things that you wish uh, your, your referring vets would do more often or um, things that you'd like us to know? I think the big thing is setting up owner's expectations for what to expect over the lifetime of this dog. That, okay. you know, if it's an environmental allergy, these patients are going to need some sort of treatment, probably lifelong. Um, so I think setting up that expectation so they understand, you know, that and they're not surprised that when they run out of medication, all of the symptoms come back. I think that's a really important thing that probably is communicated to them and they just don't listen. But mm-hmm. um, but sometimes I think, you know, people are busy, they're itchy, they just say, here, we'll give this to treat the itch and then, and then you know, your dog will be better. Um, but I think they neglect to sort of mention, you know, the, what's gonna, this going to look like for the rest of the dog's life? And we want to make sure that they know this is something that that's not going away. So they really need to learn how to manage it appropriately. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. Very fair. I, I do see, you know, people get frustrated, um, as you mentioned earlier with derm cases and then potentially change clinics and that sort of thing, trying for a different approach. And maybe a lot of the time the first clinic was doing a great job at the start. They just didn't maybe set up the expectations. Yeah. And yeah. I think, and that's super common. I, mean, I think it's one of the biggest reasons people that hop, um, you know, and, and I can understand why, I mean, you know, you think you have an ear infection if you just give them the right medication, you should clear up that infection. It will go away and the problem should be done. But they're just missing the fact that there's an underlying reason that they got that ear infection and that is not going away. And that's why they keep coming back. And And that's a hard thing for them to wrap their heads around as well. Like it's not an easy concept that we're trying to teach them. You know, I spend an entire half an hour, just like after I've looked at their dog and done all my cytology, I'm pretty much talking with them for a half an hour, just going through all of this. And many clinicians appointments are only 20 minutes to start with. And that yeah. includes everything else. So, so it's a hard task, but handouts can absolutely be your friend. Um, if you get some good handouts on allergies that you can hand out to owners, you know, first time they have a skin infection, first time they have an ear infection, Every patient gets one free, so I think it's fair. They can have <laughs> yeah. one, just treat it. You don't have to have a huge allergy talk. But sort of, it's always good to plant the seed and say, hey, if this comes back, we need to talk more about allergies. Um, and then you sort of, that they're thinking about it and it's on their radar. That's a great idea. So, And then maybe it's not such a shock. Their impression is, hey, my vet said this might happen again, as opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm really surprised yeah and yeah. oh they must have done something wrong yes. they picked the wrong drug whatever when yeah. it's, it's nothing to do with that it's just that your patient has a, a predisposing reason to have those infections that's very fair 
So, and then what, speaking of your half an hour appointments, what are some indications that maybe we should think about referring to a dermatologist? Yeah, so, so I think, I mean, if skin is not something that you love and that you, you know, want to spend a lot of your day doing, I, I mean, I think almost any allergic patient, there's probably justification to refer them. Um, but I think those patients that, you know, that aren't being well managed with, you know, simple things like apical and cytopoint, um, good ones to, to sort of hopefully intervene before they become so severe that nothing is working. Um, those are really good candidates to think about immunotherapy. I mean, any patient that needs medication continuously year round or for, you know, more than six to nine months of the year, those are all patients that could probably benefit from immunotherapy. And, and that's probably a good one to, to, to refer to us. Um, and obviously, you know, we are the great dumping ground for any of those patients that don't <laughs> listen to your recommendations because <laughs> um, sometimes they listen to someone with a few more letters after their name who they pay a little bit more to get the same advice they got from you. Sometimes they listen a little bit better. That does happen sometimes when I read the <laughs> referral letter and I think, yep, I told them this and this and this, but yep. But then so often you add more to it. So that's, that's perfectly fair. And then for, can we just briefly discuss what would what might happen in a referral appointment? You mentioned immunotherapy therapy if you just want to kind of briefly say what that is and yeah so in I mean one of the main things that we do as dermatologists is allergy testing mm -hmm. and immunotherapy um, so we unfortunately we cannot allergy test for food allergies so this is entirely for environmental allergies um, but we can do testing to find out what patients are allergic to and then we can make up custom allergy shots for them or immunotherapy um, and the idea is to kind of expose their body to small doses of all those things to retrain it so that hopefully it stops reacting and can learn to tolerate those things. And that can slowly decrease the amount of medication they need over time. Um, so hopefully we can eventually reduce their reliance on all those medications. Um, it's a slow process that can take up to a year to work and roughly 70% of patients respond. You know, but it's a great option for younger dogs or dogs that need medication continuously, um, or for dogs where you know they're having frequent flare-ups and infections. Um, those are great candidates to try and reduce their reliance on those drugs. Um, there's a couple different ways we do testing. So there's intradermal testing where we'll sedate them and actually inject them with, um, right into the skin with all those allergens and see if they get little red bumps, as well as blood allergy testing where they look for antibody levels. Ideally, we recommend doing a combination of both because um, each of them are looking at slightly different pathways in the immune system. And so it's not unusual. The results can be a little different on either test. So by doing both together, we know we don't miss anything. Now, if you're limited to only doing one test, there's not really clear evidence that skin testing or blood testing is superior than the other. So if you took two groups of dogs, one group had skin testing done, one group had blood testing, put them both on immunotherapy, the same percentage of dogs will respond in either group. So, so it's, it's not necessarily that skin testing is, is superior. Um, I think compared to the old blood tests, that used to be the case, but the newer ones are much, much better. I personally like to do both because I do feel like my patients do better. I don't have any statistics. No one's done a study looking at if you do both, do they do better? But I feel like they do. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a great option for, for patients with, with environmental allergies. Okay. Okay. That's great. And I find sometimes people are a little bit um, put off by the idea of allergy shots. Uh, how much sublingual immunotherapy do you do? Or? It's, it's probably 
close to 50-50, okay. both whether it's an injectable product or a, an oral drop. Okay. Um, in humans, it's definitely sublingual that they actually will put it under the tongue. It's kind of hard in a dog or cat to actually <laughs> yes. make sure it gets under the tongue. So we sort of usually just say that it's oral because yeah. you're just kind of getting it in there. But um, they're equally effective. So there's there's no advantage to one over the other. Sometimes if you have a patient who did one, didn't respond, if you switch to the other, sometimes you'll get a response as well. Um, but I'd say it's about 50-50. Some people love the convenience of the injections because they're done a little less frequently. They're only yeah. once a week. Um, other people are just, there's no way they could give a needle. So mm-hmm. oral is much better for those guys. Okay, that's fair. Okay, thanks for going over that. It's nice to know a little bit more about what we're referring for, along with all the other medications that you use and everything to control the itch. But yeah, that, that testing is great. And then, as you said, you can't really test for a food allergy, even though blood tests do exist, unfortunately, for food allergy testing, they are not accurate. Exactly. So that is not a good use of of money, unfortunately. Um, And I think it's important to set clients up with the appropriate expectation for allergy testing. um, If you do refer patients, um, that it is not sort of the end all be all of managing your allergic patient. It's one tool in our toolbox. There's lots of other things that we do. So it's not the only the only thing that they're coming to us for, that they're also coming for, you know, our expertise managing the case, um, as well as as just in our logistics of our appointments, we tend not to do allergy testing when we first meet a client because there's so much other information to go through about how, you know, we manage allergies, about working it up and, and kind of coming up with a, a proper plan for their patient. It's just overwhelming to do it all. And time-wise, we, we just don't yeah. have time to do it all in one visit. So um, so generally, it's something that we do over a couple different visits. Okay, that sounds really good. Okay, so so that is amazing information. Thank you. Uh, so to kind of sum up a little bit, um, can you kind of briefly recap what we'd like to be the key points for us to take away in terms of managing an itchy dog? Yeah, so I think, you know, the big keys are making sure you get a good history as far as age of onset, you know, seasonality, parts of the body affected. Um, really do a nice thorough uh, exam of the skin and definitely do that cytology so you know what you're dealing with. Um, and then and then make sure that we're sort of doing that initial treatment where we're just putting out those fires, treating those infections, getting our patients comfortable. But really don't forget about that long-term management, um, that you can't just treat the fires, then take everything away and expect it to stay controlled. You're probably going to have to come up with some sort of treatment for these guys long-term, which is the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed for sure. Thank you. Well, Liz, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Um, we all see lots of itchy dogs and it's nice to hear some new insights about, about how to best manage them and also when to think about referring them. So I think this will be really helpful for all of us to help all those itchy dogs out there. So my pleasure. It was great to be here. Amazing. Thanks to all our listeners for spending the time with us. If you have questions or ideas for future podcasts, please email us at vetsessions at hotmail.com or message us on Instagram at vetsessions. Take care, everyone.